Lord, we just praise you once again, and we thank you for the power of your word that's already gone forth, and for the beauty of worship, Lord, and just setting our hearts and minds upon you, and your goodness, and your grace, and your great love. And so, Lord, now take this time that we have together. Lord, in your word, open our eyes, open our ears, give us understanding, Lord, and may your word take root in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to set my little tar- timer. Okay, so for I realize that we do have some new ladies here, and I do not teach very often, and so I thought I should take a moment and just introduce myself. And my name is Denise Salvato, and I'm married to Pastor Rob. I just think he's the best ever, <laughs> my favorite teacher. <laughs> Uh, We've been married 34 years. We have three adult children. We have one grandson, and we have a baby on the way. So we are forever grateful for Calvary Vista. I'm thankful for this women's ministry and all the years that we've been able to serve here. I mean, it's really actually pretty crazy that Rob and I really have spent the majority of our married life here at Calvary Vista. Um, When we first got married, Rob was... um, uh, youth ministry pastor for the junior high and then the high school and then the young adults Um, and then the Lord called us to go plant a church in Oregon and we were there for five years and then he called us back here to Calvary Vista um, that Rob would take over as the lead pastor here so literally this place will forever be in our hearts Um, we love Calvary Vista Um, I gave my heart to the Lord at the age of 10 when I heard the gospel and I really understood it. Um, It was just a moment that literally changed the course of my life forever. I went from a little girl who was without a daddy to being introduced to my Abba Father, (laughs) my Heavenly Father. And I went from being afraid and unsure of my identity and my future to finding peace and purpose and joy. And over the years, as I grew and matured, I just um, experienced also um, just the baptism of the Holy Spirit in my life and began to understand the spiritual gifts and the things he'd given to me. And really, I would say by the age of 15 or 16, I knew there was a calling on my life that all I wanted to do was love God and serve God. And he's been so faithful in my life. Now, that that does not mean that my life has been perfect at all. You know, not a bed of roses for sure. There's been plenty of family dysfunction and pain in my life, probably like most of you in this room. And there are still times when it can seep into my adult life now um, and impact me. Um, you know, I think all of us, we have that in our lives. There's, there's pain, there's suffering, there's sickness, there's trials along the way. Um, and I know for me also, beyond all, all of that, It's those internal inner groanings of my own failures and my own foolishness and my own sin. But I can stand here today and testify to the relentless grace of God and how the gospel really does change everything. Amen? As a matter of fact, if you testify to that too, would you just stand with me and let's just take a moment to just give him glory, honor, and praise. Just, just everyone in your own words, you just speak it out. Let's just, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. 
Lord, for your faithfulness in our lives. We thank you that we're called. Lord, we are so, so grateful. Thank you that we're called, that we're yours. And that you love us with a perfect love, an everlasting love. And we just never, ever, ever want to take that for granted. May we always be in awe of the gospel of grace. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. So we are going to pick up here in Romans chapter 8. And why don't we start with verse 16. And it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, yay, (laughs) heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. Birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I think Paul models so clearly for us here. Um, the mindset that is so critical for us as believers to have, and that is to have the right, proper perspective for our lives here and for our lives for eternity. Basically, it's having a biblical view, not a worldview, not a culturally relevant view, not a religious view, not a political view. It is a biblical view. It's viewing everything through the lens of faith in number one, who God is, in number two, what he says he will do, and number three, who we are in Christ. And when we have that right perspective, like Paul, we will be able to say, I am convinced, I am persuaded, I know that I know that I know that I know that any suffering I endure here is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled to you and to me. Amen. And this, girls, is coming from a man who suffered greatly, more than we could ever, ever imagine. So, There's weight to his words. He's lived it out himself. So he's not trying to make light of suffering. He's not diminishing the terrible pain it can cause us physically and emotionally and mentally. No, suffering does impact our lives. Personally, here in the room, in our families, in the church, in our communities. And it is burdensome. There, there, it, it causes anxiety. It causes us fear at times. Um, and so Paul understands that. And the Lord understands that. 
But what Paul is telling us is that perspective is everything. There is purpose in the pain. And what we have to understand from this text is that suffering with Christ is the condition for the future glorification. They go hand in hand. And in the end, girls, it's going to be worth it all. One day when we see the face of Jesus in all of his glory, which is just hot, it's breathtaking to even imagine, but then that we are going to be glorified with him? I mean, wow, right? Glory, hallelujah. It's just, it is mind-blowing. <laughs> Hard to wrap our heads around. What's it going to feel like? What's it going to be like um, the day that we're fully perfect, we're complete, we're transformed into the image of Jesus. We're going to have these glorified new bodies with no more sin, no more suffering, no more tears, no more death. And I love that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that basically right now we see things dimly. It is imperfectly. It's like a puzzling reflection in a mirror. But then, girls, then we will see everything with a perfect clarity. All that we know now, it's partial. It's a partial clarity. But then we will know everything completely, just as God now knows us completely. Again, see the perspective between now and then? So, so important for us. We are children of God, and it has not been revealed yet what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. I love um, how C.S. Lewis kind of explains this, this idea of the, of the glorification of us. He says, this glory is not only incomparable in its intensity, but it is also incomparable in its locality. It's not going to be revealed to us, but in us. The word literally means into us. So this glory is not going to be a spectator sport where we're just sitting up in some cosmic grandstand and watching an amusing or beautiful performance in which we actually have no part. No, we are to be on the stage. We are going to be involved in it. It is going to be a glory that will be revealed into us, and we are a part of it. And so Paul goes on to tell us in our text that creation is basically standing on its tiptoes and craning its neck, waiting for our unveiling. Not only you and I, but think about it, the millions and millions of believers here and that have gone ahead of us throughout the age. I mean, it's just, can you even imagine that? Creation itself is going to be finally set free from all this decay that it's going through right now. And it cannot wait for that glorious freedom of God's children. I love just seeing too here this, this thing of the groaning. Remember Debbie when she talked about our, the groanings of our failure, right? Between the spirit and the flesh and all of that. And then we see um, the groanings of creation. With I love the, just this idea of, of labor pains, right? And that we too groan for the redemption of our bodies. Um, I mentioned I have um, one grandson, he's three, and then my youngest daughter is pregnant, and she's going to give birth to a little girl in just a few weeks. And um, yeah, and so 
I know that she is inwardly groaning, right? Her body's changing. Things are stretching and moving, and there is discomfort. And there's just a lot that goes into um, those nine months of carrying a child. And so there's those inner groanings going on. But not only of the aches and the pains, but the, the inner groaning of the day, she's longing to like hold her little girl in her arms and see her face to face. But those of us who have given birth, we know that those contractions, when they begin and she goes into labor, her inner groanings are going to turn into outer groanings, right? And if she's anything like her mommy, they will be loud. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have epidurals with my kids. I actually tried with Amanda. She, I knew she was my last one. I'm like, listen, I don't want to feel any pain. Give me the epidural, right? Uh, you know, I just wanted to look cute. I, I was thinking, you know, if back then they had iPhones, I'd be the one, like, with my makeup on and trying to take a selfie. Like, like I just wanted to experience that, you know? So um, they, they prepped me for the epidural. You know, they got me ready, but things did not go according to plan, <laughs> So after hours and hours and hours, they had to induce me. And stupid me went and told Rob when they turned on the little drip for the, to induce me, babe, you're tired. Go, just go down to the cafe. You know, just get, get, get something to drink, get a little bite. I'm fine. It's going to be a while. It's okay. Go, go, go. So he went down there. And I am not kidding. It was within minutes when the pain was, wow, excruciating. I'm like, turn the epidural on and find my husband. I was just, but the problem was it was really too late for the epidural. I was ready to push, but thankfully Rob got there just in time. But when she came into the world, obviously I could say it was worth it all. And when you and I come into the fullness of God's redemptive plan, we will also be able to say it's worth it all. I, I love um, some lyrics from a song that Rita Springer wrote years and years ago. And she says, I don't understand your ways. Oh, but I will give you my song and I'll give you all my praise. You hold on to all my pain and with it you are pulling me closer and pulling me into your ways. Now around every corner and up every mountain, I'm not looking for crowns or the water from fountains. I'm desperate in seeking, frantic believing that the sight of your face is all that I need. And I will say to you, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it all. I believe this. I hope you believe it too. But notice verse 25. It says, but if we hope for what we do not see, We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. In other words, patiently and confidently, waiting for its fulfillment with composure. (laughs) So we have to ask ourselves, are we eagerly waiting with perseverance, right? Or have we given kind of into those uh, inner groanings and let them take over and now they're outward groanings or outward moanings or outward complaining and, and now woe is me and life is hard and things feel hopeless. And if that's you today, you need to just shift your focus back on the right perspective and realize that those inner groanings are supposed to be a reminder of the promise of glory. And so let that hope, absolute expectation of coming good be the anchor For your souls. Listen, that hope is what's going to anchor you through the tireless battles between your flesh 
and your spirit that you are battling every single day of your life. And it's also going to anchor you with the spiritual battle that's going around us in this world between light and darkness and good and evil. We need this anchor of hope. It's going to anchor us through all the what-ifs and the doubts and the fears for today and tomorrow and for eternity. I'm going to read to you Hebrews 6, verse 18 through 20. And I think it's the amplified version. But it says, these two things cannot change. God cannot lie when he makes a promise. And he cannot lie when he makes an oath. These things encourage us who came to God for safety. They give us strength to hold on to the hope we have been given. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, sure and strong. It enters behind the curtain in the most holy place in heaven where Jesus has gone ahead of us and for us. He has become the high priest forever, a priest like Melchizedek. So let's continue to read, pick up in verse 26 and 27. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Wow, I love this portion. I mean, how many times have you found your yourself in a place where you are at a loss of words and you do not know how to pray. Whether it's in a sudden tragic crisis that just like blows into your life and just changes everything in a, in a moment, in an instant, and you are just not, you're just overwhelmed by the trauma and the grief and you do not know how to pray. Or whether it's in those long, like really long, (laughs) endless trials or afflictions where you're so weary and tired and you can't even think or see clearly and your faith is weak because you've been praying and praying, but you're not seeing the answers that you're praying for. And so you get to that place where you don't even know how to pray. What about in those times in parenting, (laughs) right? where you are completely overwhelmed and you're overworked and you're so desperate for God's help on so many levels. You need wisdom, you need discernment, and you need it now. Do I get an amen? (laughs) Or how about when our kids are, that we see them suffering and their trials and their afflictions and we can't bring ourselves to yield to God's plan and God's purpose and God's pain in their lives. And so we need help to know how to pray for them where it's not according to mom's will, but according to God's will. Or in our marriages when there's been a lot of hurt and pain and offense after offense and offense and time and time again, and there's just not any healing and your heart's grown cold and there's walls of protection that have gone up. And you may feel hopeless and you can't fully even discern what to pray for. And then there's the dry times that we go through, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, when you just feel numb. You don't feel anything. You don't feel the presence of God. You don't feel like you hear God. The word just seems so dry when you read it. There's a distance. And really, if you're honest, you don't even desire to pray. Oh, how much more you need the help of the Holy Spirit to help you pray. 
And thankfully, girls, we are never alone, right? We have this helper, this intercessor for us, our prayer partner. The Holy Spirit takes hold of our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. And it says it's pleading to God with groans. It's just, what a, right? What an intimate, beautiful picture that is. God, Abba Father, he searches your hearts. He knows your thoughts, right? We know that from Psalm 139. He knows your desires. He knows your will. He knows the way you're praying. Yet, thankfully, he also hears the Holy Spirit's prayers for us, which, girls, there will always, always align with God's perfect will and purpose for each one of us. And so he prays, he groans, he intercedes on our behalf, helping align our prayers to be in harmony with God's plan. Wow. So beautiful. And I just really want to challenge all of us to be more aware of the Holy Spirit's role in our lives in this way. Because I think if we just take those times when we just would just stop our brains and our minds and all the way that we want to pray and we're just like, just pause and realize, wait a minute, the Holy Spirit right now, he's groaning, he's interceding on my behalf. And we just get placed to that where we're just more aware of his presence. It's going to really help us to understand the, the power of prayer, amen, for our lives. And then let's pick up in the verse that we all love. But before we read Romans 8.28, which is our memory verse, I just want to say that really it, it, sh- it should be included in what we just read above, where we're being told we have a, the Holy Spirit and he helps us when we don't know how to pray and he's working all that. And then verse 28, and, because there is an and, <laughs> this is part of the truth that we just talked about, and we know that all things work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So it's not telling us that all things are good. No, because not all things are good, right? There's a lot of bad things. And it's not telling us that all things are going to work out for good because they don't, right? A lot of things do not work out for good here in what we see. There's broken relationships. There's damage. There, there's, there's just hard things that happen because of broken people and a broken world and, and of sin, But God says that all things will work together for good, okay? So recently, I decided to to bake some cookies with my grandson, who's three years old. And I'm like, Josiah, let's bake cookies. And and I got out all the ingredients and the measuring cups, and I'm letting him help me. Like, I'm I'm measuring it, but he's getting to pour it into the bowl, and we're just having a great time. I'm telling him it's going to be so good. Well, he decided to take the teaspoon of baking soda and put it in his mouth unknowingly. And we all know that baking soda is not good, right? It was 
bitter to the taste and he's spitting it out and I'm trying to console him and wash his mouth out and just calm him down. And I can tell you that after that experience, it was really hard to persuade him that I was trying to bless him with something good, cookies. And if he would just be patient and eagerly wait and let Mimi mix all the ingredients together, right? The bitter ones and the sweet, the potent, the bland, and then, and then, and then you got to put it into the oven where it has to heat up, right? And then we have to wait. We got to wait, wait, wait for the timer to go off. And that then, and I don't know how it happens, <laughs> but something yummy comes out of that oven, right? And it would make him happy and it was going to taste so good. And I think that's sort of a picture of how it is with our Heavenly Father, with us, His children. He's like, girls, just trust me with the process. Trust me with the ingredients and the exact measurements. That I'm going to take all of that and work it together, right? The sorrow, the joy, the bitter things in life, the sweet things in life, the sufferings, the peaceful ease, all of it. I'm going to mix it up together, Right? Until it's the right texture and the right consistency. And then it has to go into the oven. It's got to go into the heat to make it complete. Right? But what comes out is going to be amazing because I do a supernatural work that's really unexplainable because it's a God thing. And we're told, beloved, do not think it's strange concerning fiery trials, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. Oh, we need to get our eyes on Jesus. Put our eyes on Jesus. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. It was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Yet the Lord, the Lord God, laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was, a le- he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. And justly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord God's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. That's you and me, girls. He will enjoy a long life. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. So when we suffer with Christ by following his example, doing the will of God above our own, surrender to the Father's plan, We see how it works out good in our lives. We have fellowship with Jesus. 
There's a knowing, there's a depthness, there, there's an intimacy, there's fellowship. Our faith is proven. Is it genuine? Is it really, is it, do we really have faith? Or is it all just lip service? We want to be proven, don't we, of how genuine our faith is? And then it's going to produce fruit in our lives. It produces the character of God. It produces the fruit of the Spirit. Christ in us, the hope of glory. I love a phrase that one of my favorite women of all time, Elizabeth Elliot, always would say is that nothing is for nothing. And listen, if you don't know her story, that woman suffered deeply. And that was a mantra over her life. Nothing is for nothing. And I preach that to my soul all the time. And I pray you preach it to your soul too. God is working all things together for good. To who? To those who love God and are called according to his purposes, right? We love God, and so we can trust God in that. And then read verse 31. Let's pick it up. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword No, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> so finally, here's the caution. If we, if we take Romans 28 out of context, we're going to have a false belief and a false hope. We need to know the word of God. We need to trust what he's saying here and see it all through the right perspective because what happens when suffering happens? The enemy comes right in, doesn't he? That's that He loves to come in and bring doubt. And what does the whole world always say when, when you're trying to share Jesus with them? Well, if God is a God of love, then why does he allow suffering, right? So that's Satan's number one tool of deception to try and just get in there and cause doubt in our minds and hearts. And so there's, there's, there's a reason why Paul ends this chapter this way, where he's wanting us to be, to, to be so sure of the love of God and be confident in that, that God does love you. He is good. He does care. Amen? So you've got to battle with truth. Stand upon the word of God. He proved it when he gave us Jesus Christ, his only son. Are you persuaded? 
Are you? You have to ask yourself that question. You're either going to believe the lies of the enemy or you're going to believe God. You're going to believe that God is who he says he is. You're going to believe that God will do what he says he will do. You're going to believe that I am who God says I am. You're going to believe that I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And you're going to believe that God's word is alive and active in you. So in closing, right perspective We need to be women who go from if I to if Christ, from suffering to sanctified, from testings to triumph, from groanings to glory, from condemned to convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you so much, Lord, for the confidence and assurance that we can have by faith in you, Lord, that we're going to take your word, we're going to take your promises, and we're going to hold on to them. We're going to let them anchor us. It's going to be the hope that anchors us for today, for tomorrow, and for all eternity. And Lord, for if there's anyone in this room that's doubting your love, They've been listening to the lie of the enemy. I pray that even now your Holy Spirit is interceding on their behalf. And Lord, that you will shift their perspective, that you will move by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would enlighten their eyes to the truth and settle it once and for all in their hearts, that you love them. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.